look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, a place where you can find out a lot about the NFL and a little bit about life. So we're going to have a special podcast this week with the trading deadline being Tuesday, October 30. And with this podcast dropping Wednesday, October 31, let's give you a real Halloween treat. Let's break down everything about the trading deadline. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down part of the trading deadline at the beginning of the podcast, and then this is called a tease in this business. I'm going to break down the rest of the podcast after my two conversations with noted Cleveland Browns experts. So let's tell you exactly what we've got in store other than the breakdown of all five trades in the last three hours of the trading deadline in 2018. We're going to talk to Joe Thomas, the likely future Hall of Fame left tackle of the Cleveland Browns, to talk to him about upheaval in Brownsland. Thomas now one of the co-hosts of the Tomahawk Show by Uninterrupted, a podcast he does with Andrew Hawkins, also a former Brown. And I'm also happy to be joined by Chris Spielman, a voice in the NFL that I have always respected. He does a talk show for Fox Sports Radio in Columbus, Ohio. And of course, you see him as an analyst for Fox Television doing Sunday NFL games. But first, I'm going to go over a couple of my impressions from the trading deadline which happened this week on Tuesday. And first of all, I want to go over just a little bit about why the trading deadline right now has become more significant than it has been in the past. In 2012, the NFL passed a ruling that said, we're going to move the trading deadline from at the Tuesday after week six to the Tuesday after week eight. So we've just finished week eight. And the reason why this is so significant is this. So the Denver Broncos were three and four after seven weeks, and they were teetering on the edge of wondering what they should do after just beating the tar out of the Arizona Cardinals in week seven. So I think John Elway, the GM of the Broncos, is thinking, well, listen, if we can go to Kansas City on Sunday and beat the Kansas City Chiefs somehow, some way, we're going to be in this thing. We'll be at 500 with eight games left, and we're going for it. But obviously they lost at Kansas City, sitting at 3-5. and five. They decided that, listen, we are better off playing for the future than for the present, 
and so they decided to trade Demarius Thomas to the Houston Texans. They get a 2019 fourth-round pick, and then the two teams will swap out uh, seventh-round picks, which is a way to try to equalize the trade, but it's always fairly meaningless. But I think the point there was made. Two weeks ago, this trade probably would not have been made. First of all, Houston would not have needed uh, Demarius Thomas after week six because Will Fuller, uh, the promising wide receiver, would not have gone down with a knee injury by then. But he goes down with a knee injury on Thursday in week eight, and all of a sudden, Bill O'Brien, Brian Gain, the general manager of the Texans, they say, let's go try to find us a wide receiver. So, A, it helps moving the trade deadline back. B, I also think it really helps the fact that NFL teams can now trade draft choices that are going to be given to them as compensatory picks. For years, the NFL did not allow teams to trade compensatory picks. And if you look at the trades that happened, there were 10 altogether in October uh, that NFL teams did. It's not teams trading uh, compensatory picks, but it's teams understanding that if we have the luxury of having extra picks, we're going to be able to be freer to trade those picks. And if there comes a time where we have to trade compensatory picks, we're okay with that. But I think the freedom to know that you're able to do that gives teams like, even though New England didn't do it this year, oh, they will do it because Bill Belichick never met a trade he didn't like. He's like the modern Jimmy Johnson. He loves making deals. And I believe the Patriots tried hard, whether it be for a pass rusher, a corner, a wide receiver. I think they they really looked hard around the league, whether it be at pass rusher with Shane Ray or Dante Fowler Jr. or uh, cornerback uh, Janoris Jenkins with the Giants or even Demarius Thomas, you know, obviously got, got moved to Houston. Um, you know, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, very familiar with Demarius Thomas from his days in Denver. But I think the point that needs to be made here is that teams, I think, are much more aggressive than they have been in the past. The final point I will say is that I think that one of the reasons why teams have been very, very aggressive is that general managers are much more aggressive. I want you to look at one of the teams that was involved uh, in two of the trades uh, in the last week or so, Uh, and that's Bob Quinn, the um, aggressive general manager of the Detroit Lions. First of all, he traded a fifth-round pick in 2019 to the Giants and picked up Damon Harrison, Snacks Harrison, the excellent uh, run-stuffing defensive tackle, Um, and he already paid dividends against Seattle on Sunday. And then, again, on Tuesday of this week, um, a trade that I think the Eagles really got the better of. The Eagles traded a third-round pick in 2019 for Golden Tate. I am a big, big Golden Tate backer. Uh, I think Philadelphia will get a lot of production out of him. But anyway, the point is, Bob Quinn, Lions general manager, 
he likes making trades. Howie Roseman of the Eagles likes making trades. Brian Gutekunst of the Green Bay Packers, he likes making trades. He traded Ty Montgomery and HaHa Clinton Dix uh, on Tuesday. I guess my point overall is that I think that the game in the last few years has become more of a what have you done for me lately, let's win this year kind of game. General managers are not the arch-conservative right-wingers that they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. When I first started covering the game, nobody traded at the deadline. I mean, there were very rarely any good trades. And now this year, obviously, 10 in the last half of October as teams gear up for the second half of the season. So I'm going to come back a little bit later in the podcast to tell you um, about what I think of all these trades individually, to sort of break them down, to give you my winners and losers. But before we do that, I want to get to the other very big news of the week. Obviously, you saw that the Cleveland Browns on Monday fired their head coach, Hugh Jackson, who had been given some assurance in the offseason, don't worry, you got this year, and he actually only had half of this year. And not only did they fire Jackson, but they also fired uh, the uh, his offensive coordinator, uh, Todd Haley. And I think there was a message in that from the owner of the Browns, Jimmy Haslam, and from the general manager of the Browns, John Dorsey. And the message is very, very simple. Listen, we're not going to have discord here. We're all going to be pulling in the same direction. And I think the rift between Jackson and Haley, um, these guys are definitely not going to be on each other's Christmas card lists. And I think the rift between them, Dorsey and Haslam both felt was affecting the product on the field. So Haslam, instead of, as he had indicated, instead of giving Hugh Jackson three full years, he gives him two and a half. And, you know, I hate to see Cleveland continually in this uh, sort of cauldron of change. But it's hard to argue when, uh, hard to argue with Haslam when the team is under Hugh Jackson is 336 and one. And basically, you look at that kind of record and you say, why should we keep this guy on, especially if he is at odds with members of his staff? So uh, that's that's sort of the Cliff's Notes version of why the Browns did what they did this week. But you're going to enjoy hearing from Joe Thomas, the former left tackle of the Browns, and one of the smartest analysts, a native of Ohio, uh, and and a, a very, very good football player, Chris Spielman, now working for Fox. You're going to love to hear their thoughts on all things Browns. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Even if you have $3, you can start today. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. 
It's simple and intuitive. Clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. You know, I recently signed up for Robinhood, and I started buying a few stocks. Nothing big, just a few stocks here and there. You know, it's great. No commission fees. I know very, very little about the stock market, but that is one of the things that makes dealing with Robinhood great. Not only because there's no commission fees, but, you know, other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. And you learn by doing. You learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a personalized news feed. You can customize notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. I mean, really, that's almost free money. They're basically giving it away. All you have to do is sign up. You can sign up at peterking.robinhood.com. That's peterking.robinhood.com. And now my conversation with Joe Thomas. Back on the Peter King Podcast, happy to be joined by one of my all-time favorites that I've covered, Joe Thomas. Um, I first met Joe Thomas before the NFL draft in 2007. I was dispatched by Sports Illustrated to go write about Joe Thomas, this top five draft prospect to tackle from Wisconsin. So I got in touch with him and I was going to meet him on campus at the University of Wisconsin. So we were going to go to his house and on campus that he shared with some guys on the football team and some others. And so he gave me the address and I went there. And the first thing I noticed was there's a when I walked in the front door, this was a classic, classic, classic college house it should have been an animal house first of all there were uh there was a a a a deer um a deer head on the wall with the antlers there uh it was probably about a 12 point buck it was a huge huge set of antlers on the wall and what i noticed is it had a red padded bra hanging on one of the antlers. It was just a classic. I actually went up to Joe Thomas's room when I got up there and Joe had his at his his laptop on his desk in his pigsty of a room. And he had his laptop and instead of having some sort of setup for the laptop, he had four rolls of toilet paper sitting there. And that is what, in very organized way on the desk, that is what his laptop was perched on, just so that it could be above the mayhem on Joe Thomas's desk. Anyway, I've always got a kick out of Joe Thomas. He's just a human being <laughs> who, who was very good at football. But we've had good conversations over the years, and I thought he would be a really, really good guy to talk to about the plight of the Browns and how the Browns have made this massive change again 
in the middle of the 2018 season. So I'm going to start off, and Joe, thanks, and I really appreciate you joining me this week. And I'll start off by just asking, so you told me a year ago that Hugh Jackson was the best coach you played for in Cleveland. Where do you think it all went wrong? Yeah, I think that Hugh Jackson is the best coach that I played for in Cleveland. Obviously, things didn't work out. I think the big issue and where things went wrong is the first two seasons of his career was really a rip it down to the studs rebuild with an eye to the future. And they were trying to save uh, salary cap space. They were trying to trade back to get more draft picks in the future. And they really weren't putting all of their assets into those first couple years to try to give Hugh Jackson the ability to have enough players so that they could win some games. And I think after a couple years, honestly, the losing and uh, that constant being beaten down by the fans and the media for your record, I think it gets to you. And I think it can change you mentally and kind of change the type of coach you are because of all that incredible amount of pressure and stress. And I think some situations, no matter how good you are as a coach, are just too much to overcome. Um, Just because you're a great coach doesn't mean you're going to have success everywhere you go. I look back at in Cleveland when Bill Belichick was the head coach. Look, he got fired in Cleveland. He's the greatest coach the NFL has ever seen, but it didn't work out in Cleveland. And so a lot of what you do as a head coach and the success you have comes down to being in the right place at the right time and being fortunate and lucky. I mean, when you look at Bill Belichick, he was extremely fortunate to fall into a guy named Tom Brady. If they wouldn't have fallen into Tom Brady in the sixth round, picking him out of Michigan, there's no way we have the success that they've had so far uh, in their long tenure. So uh, being a head coach, just because you're good, doesn't mean it's automatically going to be successful. Joe, great point about Belichick. Totally agree with you. He's grown into the job, and who knows? I doubt Hugh Jackson gets another chance, but if he does, I'm sure this experience, bitter though as it may was, will serve him well. Do you think the Browns did the right thing by whacking Hugh now? I think the Browns did the right thing by getting rid of Hugh right now. Uh, I think there was some internal struggle that seems to have been going on between Hugh and maybe some of the other coaches, specifically Todd Haley. And that drama and that internal discord, as we heard from Jimmy Haslam was really apparently getting to everybody in that building. And I think it was affecting the preparation. I think it was affecting the way that the players were playing and they were very, very sensitive to not retard the growth process of Baker Mayfield. They were really concerned that that drama that was going on with the coaches was going to have an effect on the growth and the maturation process of Baker Mayfield. So they felt like the situation needed to be dealt with right now before it potentially got any worse. So I'll ask you this, maybe using a little bit of hindsight. Was Todd Haley the wrong choice as offensive coordinator? I can't really say that Todd Haley was definitely the wrong choice as an offensive coordinator. I think it was great for Hugh to be hiring an offensive coordinator. Uh, If we believe some of the things that Hugh said about him going out on his own and wanting to hire Todd Haley to give him help and let him guide the offense, 
clearly it didn't work out. So it's easy to say in hindsight that he was the wrong choice. But at the time, Todd Haley is a very successful offense coordinator. He's had a lot of success at the different places he's been. He's proven to be a, a very good coach and offensive coordinator. And sometimes the fit just isn't right. And you don't really realize that until you're in that situation. And clearly you can say now that the fit wasn't right. So with the benefit of hindsight, I'm going to say that Todd Haley was the wrong choice as the offensive coordinator. So, Joe, I know how much you know about what's going on inside of this organization. You've only been away now for 10 months. What do you know that the rest of us should know about this firing and about the organization right now? And, you know, I don't mean to lead you in any direction, but yeah, I'd also love to hear your thoughts about John Dorsey as general manager. It's easy to say that this is the same old Browns, they're starting over, they're hitting the reset button, but I think this is much different because we've had John Dorsey now leading this organization for almost a year. He's a guy that's got a proven track record. He's brought in some enormous talent already through free agency and the draft. I think he did an exceptional job with the young players he's picked, and this roster is loaded with young talent at important positions. Miles Garrett, pass rusher, Baker Mayfield, quarterback, Denzel Ward, quarterback, cornerback. These are all pieces that you're going to be able to build around. And so this next coach of the Cleveland Browns, whoever that's going to be, is going to have a roster that's full of young talent that no coach since Cleveland has come back has had the ability or the good fortune of being able to be coaching and being able to be involved with. So whatever the new head coach is, whoever that's going to be, is going to have an incredible uh, stable of talent to play with. And they're going to have a great GM with a proven track record and he's got the, the the pelts on the wall john dorsey has done it at other places kansas city green bay and he's got the respect of the haslams and i think the haslams having that respect for who john dorsey is is going to give him a long leash to be able to make decisions that he thinks are in the best interest of the cleveland browns and i think that's going to bode really well for the stability moving forward and the ability to change the narrative and change the direction of this organization Joe, why should Browns fans who have watched six coaches try unsuccessfully to build a winner since 2010, why place any faith in the powers that be that they can actually find a coach that'll work? Browns fans have watched a ton of coaches come through Berea and get fired, but the number one issue was not that they weren't all bad coaches because there was many good coaches in the bunch. The biggest issue was you never had that franchise quarterback and you never had the talent on that roster to build around. In the end, in the NFL, it's about talent first and coaching second. Whoever the new head coach is going to be in Cleveland is going to have a plethora of young, talented players at important key positions to build with and I think has the largest probability of success of any coach that we've seen since the Browns came back in 99. Absolute total gut feeling. Do you have a potential Browns head coach, maybe a college coach, pro assistant, who you think ought to get a shot at being the next Browns coach. 
The coach that I keep thinking about that I think would be a tremendous fit in Cleveland would be Matt LaFleur. He's the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans right now. He's got a background with Kyle Shanahan, the Sean McVay type offenses. I think those are an offense that really runs and plays very well right now in the NFL. I think it's creative. I think it's explosive. And I think it fits Baker Mayfield and his skill set. The way he can throw the football down the field, the way he can scramble, he can move, he can get outside of the tackle boxes. And I think that would just be a tremendous fit. I don't know him personally. I don't know what type of a leader he is. I don't know what type of a manager he is. But when I look at successful teams right now and the direction the NFL is headed, I think a guy like Matt LaFleur would be perfect for the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. Have you seen enough of Mayfield to know whether he's the answer? I think Baker Mayfield is definitely the quarterback of the future. He's definitely the answer. I've seen enough from him. There's nothing that we've seen that says he will not be able to do it. Now, of course, there is something that could pop up in the next two, three years with him as a quarterback that becomes that foible, that Achilles heel that he's just not able to get over and he's not able to overcome. But it's unlikely because we haven't seen it yet. And I think you pair a good offensive coordinator, a good head coach with Baker Mayfield, you allow him the growth and match process of three years, which I truly believe is how long it takes to show that you can be a good quarterback in the NFL. And I think what we're going to see is a franchise all pro level quarterback out of Baker Mayfield. Could not agree with you more on Baker Mayfield. Glad you said that. Um, I think going back to the time when, um, uh, you know, I was there on draft weekend uh, I was in the minority then, but I really thought that they made the right decision with Mayfield. Uh, he's just a different, different cat. Um, anyway, last question. So obviously you're not from Cleveland. You're a Badger. Not only uh, you went to Wisconsin, but you know, you're from Wisconsin. But now you've made Cleveland your home. So I would just ask you this. You're sitting with Jimmy Haslam right now. I want you to tell me, what's the one piece of advice you would give to the Browns owner right now? If I'm sitting next to Jimmy Haslam and I'm advising him on who the next head coach should be, what I'm saying is you need to entrust the process and trust John Dorsey. This is a man that has been around the NFL a long time. He really understands what it takes to win. He understands what it looks like to build a winning organization. And he's going to be the one with the expertise to be able to bring you a head coach that he can assuredly say, this is the guy that's going to turn this franchise around and lead us to the promised land, the playoffs, maybe even an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And I think you lead and you trust all of your faith in a guy like John Dorsey because that's what you hired him to do. And I think that's what he will do. I have a lot of faith that the Haslams have learned from the mistakes of the past and they're going to understand and respect John Dorsey in the process. Now they'll be involved, of course. They want to be involved. It's their team. They want to have some say. They want to be able to listen, to meet these head coaches, to throw their two cents in. But in the end, I believe very strongly that they're going to allow John Dorsey to pick the next head coach, to use all of his years of experience in the NFL to guide this organization to buy to and hire the right head coach for this job. Joe cannot thank you enough on a very busy day in a busy week in a controversial week for the cleveland browns i really really appreciate you joining me thanks
can I tell you about my favorite new thing at home? I mean, it's incredible. It's my new Sonos Beam. Sonos Beam is the smart, compact soundbar for my TV and the newest addition to my home sound system. It plays everything I love. There's so much to enjoy. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. I can even use AirPlay to enjoy music and my favorite shows from my iPhone or iPad. Not only does it have all the streaming I need, but wait until you listen. The sound is brilliant. Using my beam fills my living room with such great sound. I can enjoy detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. And you know, I can't believe how easy it was to set up. I first listened to Sonos and learned about Sonos from my daughter who lives in San Francisco. Their family has one, and it is utterly fantastic. You can be listening to a podcast. That's my latest sort of favorite thing in one room. NPR in another room, music in another room. It's fantastic. And, you know, it is so easy to set up. There's no crazy wiring. Beam connected to my TV with just one cord, and it syncs with my remote. Even better, that Sonos app made it so easy to set up. And here was something I wasn't expecting. Amazon Alexa is built in. I get all the benefits of having Alexa, and now I even have hands-free control of my music. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and to adjust the volume. How great is that? So get your Sonos today. Don't wait. Don't you want to listen to music in one bedroom, a podcast in the living room, maybe NPR or some radio in the kitchen, or send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a sound or a second of the action? Create the ultimate entertainment center with your beam. I did. So Sonos Beam, go online to get yours today. And now my conversation with Chris Spielman. Back on the Peter King Podcast, really happy to be joined by Chris Spielman, um, who I think is one of the most interesting people I have ever covered in 34 years of the NFL. He was so intense that one time I wanted to do a, a story of his life uh, in football and see what he really went through to prepare for a game uh, when I worked at Sports Illustrated. And Chris, who uh, was at the time a hugely intense linebacker for the Detroit Lions, when I proposed this idea to him to sort of hang around with him as he prepared for a game, he looked up at me and he goes, I don't remember if it was through gritted teeth, but I think he was a little bit, I don't know, uh, put off by the question. He said, my life is not the friggin' NFL today. <laughs> I got a great kick out of that. And uh, I always respect the passion of guys. And I've always really, really respected the passion of Chris Spielman. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to 
jump right into this and just ask you, you're now a talk show host in Ohio. You you grew up in Northeast Ohio. You grew up basically in the shadow of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, now you do NFL games for Fox. So you're around the game, and I want to know this. Why did Hugh Jackson fail? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. You can't, one is not that he didn't have the opportunity in years to fix it. But if I sit back and look at it, there's a lack of stability within the organization, a lack of stability in the front office. There was constant changes. And you take a look at Hugh Jackson and, and what they were trying to do. When you're not working hand in hand with the front office and there's constant stress and pressure, Uh, It's never going to work. I think the other thing is the obvious answer is there was never stability at the quarterback position. I do believe now that they have that stability with Baker Mayfield. But didn't Hugh Jackson know what he was getting into? Yeah, but my point is they weren't getting along. Whether they went, whether it was everybody was kumbaya at first and all in, but as the as the process went on, they started infighting and pointing fingers at each other so what organization when you have everybody pointing fingers at each other on the inside is ever going to be successful it's not they're not on the same page and they haven't been i'm not sure dorsey and you were on the same page you think the browns did the right thing by whacking hugh jackson right now no i think now i think you send a message to everybody that you know this incompetence and and not not incompetence as a person just you know you're not winning games and we have to win in the nfl and not only did they let Hugo, of course, but they let Todd Haley go. And again, it's the same thing. You got two guys and, and egos are, are fighting during the middle of the season of who's doing what and pointing fingers and blaming. And you have nobody rowing together, being together on the same team, thinking the same things. And if they're not doing that, then you have to let them go and you're going to start fresh. And I do think there's a lot of good candidates out there that they can explore and look at. So obviously everybody saw um... – Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, other coaches sort of bitching at each other during hard knocks. Is that a big deal to you? Do you care about this stuff? Uh, I think it was overblown a little bit, but I do think it was a precursor of things to come. Uh, At the time, I I thought it was overblown because there's a lot of times when there's healthy debate amongst coaches and coordinators. But eventually, the coordinator has to do what Todd said – you're the head coach. I'm going to do what you want to do, but here's what I feel. And the head coach says, I appreciate that. When you're the head coach, you can make that decision. Chris, why should Browns fans have any faith that they're going to pick the right coach after this season? Because, you, well, you have to have faith in John Dorsey. I think you're having a guy that's a football guy that that understands and works with a lot of great coaches over the years, and you got to understand that he's going to put a coach in there that he feels is best for the organization and also a guy that's going to be able to be on the same page and understand what the plan is to build a team, understand that the coach would want these type of players to build a team, that the GM will go get those type of players, and you work as a team. So that's what I would put faith in. So you work pro football and you have worked college football, you know everything about Ohio State, you follow both games, college and pro. So I want to ask you your total gut feeling right now. If you could pick a guy out there right now, college or pro, from all the coaches you've seen right now, is there a guy who you think could do a good job 
trying to put these Browns back together again? Well, I, I mean, I think there's two ways to go. So one one of the things is what's the hot offense now would be the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Or you can look at a Sean McVay offense. They're very similar in a, a lot of ways. So Matt Nagy's having success now with the Chicago Bears, who's an Andy Reid disciple. So you can go that way. Somebody that understands conceptually what the Chiefs are doing or what the Bears are doing offensively, if you want that guy. Or you can go to the veteran, a guy that's been out there, a guy that is kind of, quite frankly, I think has campaigned for the job is Bruce Arians. I've had a chance to sit in meetings with Bruce Arians. I had a chance to watch him coach on the field. I think he gets along with his players. I think he challenges his players. And if I were looking for a veteran, uh, I would say B.A. would be a guy that I would strongly consider. Well, he is in his mid-60s, Chris. Is he too old? I don't think so. Not now. Not nowadays. I, I think there's a lot of energy with guys. And uh, I, I know he's had some health issues in the past, so I'd have to make sure that he was clear on that. I'm not just saying hire Bruce Arians right now. I'm saying there's a lot of guys out there that potentially would fit what you want to do and the type of team you want to build if you're John Dorsey. It's just philosophically, which way do you want to go? And for me, I think somebody that uh, has an offensive mind, it's an offensive-driven league. I'm a big offensive guy right now. And if John Dorsey has that guy, then you have to trust John Dorsey to make that decision. Have you seen enough out of Baker Mayfield? to know if he should be the Browns' long-term quarterback? Uh, I think he is. I think that uh, he definitely has the the opportunity uh, to excel. I, I do think there's more talent that needs to be put around him, especially at the wide receiver position. But athletically, I think he conceptually he gets the game. I think he sees the field well. But like all rookie quarterbacks, he needs to start making better decisions. But... Uh, if you if you put me under the hot lights and say, is Baker Mayfield going to be the quarterback of the future of the Cleveland Browns? My answer is a definite yes. I think he has that ability. You know, Chris, I can't think of anybody who would be more qualified to answer this question. You grew up right near the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You went to Ohio State. Late in your career, you were a Cleveland Brown for a short time. And... I just wonder right now, why should fans in Cleveland have any hope at all that this is going to work? Well, I think they have stability in the front office, and John Dorsey's a a football guy, right? They tried all other ways, but I think John Dorsey has a proven track record. Uh, I think John Dorsey understands what it takes to build an organization. And I also trust in John Dorsey to draft very good players, and to hire a coach that he can work with, and I'm going back to the points that I made earlier, in order for any organization to be successful, the head coach and the general manager must be on the same page of what type of team they are going to build. And I do think, just to answer the previous question, yes, I do think they have a franchise quarterback and stability with Baker Mayfield. What advice would you have for Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns right now? I'm saying I, I appreciate your efforts of what you're doing for the Cleveland Browns. I really do. And I admire your I, your willingness to try to keep making things right. Uh, I Now, what you need to do is you need to hire Peter King as president, Joe Thomas as general manager, and Chris Spielman as head coach. 
So you think he needs to be an owner who doesn't stick his nose into things? I'm worried he has to allow and step out of the way and allow Dorsey to hire the head coach. Now, obviously, he can have input and say in it, but I, I do think that you know John Dorsey has to be able to hire a head coach, and a head coach has to be willing to listen to the general manager, and the general manager has to be willing to listen to the head coach. But I can't emphasize enough how important that is for the organization and everybody understands their role and they understand where they fall as far as the uh, authority within the organization and so that somebody has to have final say and I think they can do that and get it done. Chris, really, really appreciate you joining me. Thanks a lot for your insight. Good luck. Come on, you know the problem. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And of course, the thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. It's easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. Have you looked in the mirror? I mean, really? Is that hairline slowly starting to move backward? Any bald spots yet? Do you think a year from now it's going to be any better? So I ask... Why do guys turn to weird solutions, or even do nothing, when they can turn to medicine and science? You see, there's a solution. It's called ForHims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. And the best part is, you don't have to leave your house. How great is 21st century technology? Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. Well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. There's no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. There are only prescription solutions backed by science. And you don't have to go to a waiting room. There's no in-person doctor visits that are so awkward. You save hours and you save embarrassment by going to ForHims.com. You answer a few quick questions and doctors will review and they can prescribe for you. The products are shipped directly to your door. So order now. My listeners get a free trial of Hims for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. So, go to forhims.com slash king. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash king. Forhims.com slash king. And now, back to a few more thoughts on the NFL trading deadline. So, last year, I think you all might remember, when we talked about the trading deadline, there was a mega trade last year. Jimmy Garoppolo went from New England to San Francisco. There was one other, I thought, very big trade, and that is Dwayne Brown, the left tackle of the Houston Texans, uh, going to the Seattle Seahawks. I thought those two trades were bigger than any of the five that happened on Tuesday of this week 
as the trading deadline um, came and went. In fact, you know, of the 10 trades in October in the last two weeks, I think both Garoppolo and Dwayne Brown were more consequential than anything that's going to happen this year or that did happen this year. But there's a couple of things that I found really interesting. Let's go over a couple of the trades. And I mean, let's go over each trade that happened on Tuesday. And and I'll basically give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, Demarius Thomas, Denver wide receiver to Houston. Look, I think John Elway did a good job in getting a fourth-round pick for Thomas. I probably would have rather him gotten a third, particularly because the Houston pick could be late in the fourth round. It just showed you that that the Broncos really want to try to uh, do business in the draft in 2019, more so than they want to win one more game, let's say, in 2018. Thomas had been getting banged up a little bit. He wasn't going to be on the team next year. This is a great example of if a team thinks they can contend this year, they're okay with giving a mid-round pick next year. And I don't think that always was the case. So I'd give a slight edge on this trade to Denver uh, because I'm just not sure if Demarius Thomas is going to hold up and be a big factor uh, for what now would be, I would think, the front runner in the AFC South. Second trade, Golden Tate from Detroit to Philadelphia for a third-round pick next year. I love this trade for Howie Roseman, uh, the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles. I understand it for Detroit GM Bob Quinn uh, in trying to get something for a guy who he did not think would be on his team in 2019. But to me, Golden Tate is a just-add-water factor for a team that needs a big factor at wide receiver. So Alshon Jeffrey has come back. But what the Eagles have noticed in the last couple of weeks since Alshon Jeffrey has come back from injury is they've noticed teams really ganging up on Alshon Jeffrey. Golden Tate, either in the slot or outside, is going to provide a little bit of an alternative to Alshon Jeffrey. I really like the Eagles uh, you know, tr- getting at least 35 catches down the stretch from Golden Tate and some catches in the red zone as well. Number three, running back Ty Montgomery from the Packers to the Ravens for a seventh-round pick in 2020. Now, look, that's practically nothing. Um, And obviously, we know, I call this the Mike Silver trade (laughs) because I was in uh, Los Angeles on Sunday at the Rams-Packers game. I went to the Rams locker room and reported out of there, Mike, uh, went to Green Bay's locker room. I think he ended up showing up in the Rams locker room later on, but I had left. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mike found out some great stuff about how the team, uh, Green Bay was really upset with Ty Montgomery for taking the ball out of the end zone, fumbling and not giving Aaron Rodgers a chance to drive in the last two minutes uh, in that incredibly beautiful setting at the L.A. Coliseum on a beautiful uh, uh, summer day, really, uh, with a huge crowd of 75,000 people. They didn't give Aaron Rodgers the chance to have uh, one more shot at a victory. Um, So anyway, Ty Montgomery goes 
it was going to be hard for him to go back to the Packers, especially because they have two running backs who've passed him on the depth chart. So obviously the uh, you know the 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 Ravens now with Buck Allen, with Alex Collins, with Ty Montgomery, they don't exactly have uh, an embarrassment of riches, but they're going to have three productive backs down the stretch. And the Ravens think they have a really good chance to steal the AFC North. So the last two deals are the ones that are most significant to me. I love the Rams getting Dante Fowler Jr. You know why? He's a pass rusher who failed to really reach his potential in Jacksonville. They decided not to exercise his fifth-year option after him being a high first-round pick in 2015. So he was going to be gone at the end of this year. And Jacksonville gets a third-round pick in 19, a fifth-round pick in 20. And the Rams think they get a hugely motivated outside pass rusher Uh, The one thing they were missing on this defense. So I like this move for the Rams. Now, finally, HaHa Clinton Dix goes from the Packers to Washington for a 2019 fourth-round pick. You know, this is almost uh, Green Bay waving a white flag to some degree, but I understand why they did it because uh, Clinton Dix was not going to be on the team next year. And so you get a mid-round pick for him, Brian Gutekunst, the uh, new general manager is much more aggressive about trades than his predecessor, Ted Thompson, was. So I understand why he did this. That's sort of a rundown of the 10 trades. And and the uh, one other thing I would say is very simply this. I love the fact that the trading deadline in the NFL is now a thing. I think it is utterly fantastic. Thanks to my guests, Joe Thomas and Chris Spielman. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Adam Schefter, Roger Goodell, and Joe Buck. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Robinhood, Sonos, and Hymns. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.